So, good evening, everybody. Nice to see you all here. It's always good to be here. (laughs) The title of this evening's talk, can you hear me? Good enough? Okay. The title of this evening's talk is Dependent Origination or Interdependent Co-arising and interbeing, all basically the same thing, different ways of saying it. And it's this teaching in Buddhism that classically is called dependent origination. And also, as I mentioned, sometimes called interdependent co-arising, which I, I actually like that way of saying it interdependent co-arising. And then <clears throat> the Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh coined the term interbeing as a way of uh, naming this teaching. And it's an understanding that no thing spontaneously exists all on its own. All things are influenced by many, many others. All phenomena, including both physical and mental phenomena, have many, actually even infinite, an infinitude, we could say, of contributing factors and conditions of causation. So within each thing are many things. Interdependent co-arising, it's really a very key Buddhist teaching. And it lies at the heart of all Buddhist doctrine. And it's most easily described as, we could say, cause and effect. Though it's not necessarily always a linear chain of causation in our everyday lives. I think that it can be most accurately and easily described as a network, a network of multiple causes and conditions, like a net, like a spider's web. It's a sublime and enlightened teaching. It's a teaching of non-duality that's very clearly expressed in the following verse that comes from the Buddha's teachings. This is because that is. This is not because that is not. This ceases to be because that ceases to be. In the classical teaching from the Buddha, there are 12 links that are listed and described in the teachings. And these are specific applications of the description of the chain of causation. The chain of causation from ignorance, link, 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 12 links, to suffering. And how awakening to those causes and then intervening in the cycle of the links at the appropriate point, at the appropriate time and the appropriate point, leads to the collapse of the chain or the cessation of suffering. 
So in essence, we could say <clears throat> that it's a very detailed uh, exposition of the four noble truths. So just to give you uh, uh, a very brief uh, description of these 12 links uh, in this law of dependent origination uh, or interdependent co-arising, I'd like to give you a, a brief description of them just for a reference, uh, some reference point. So the first is ignorance, meaning not knowing, not understanding the truth of the Dharma, not understanding the way of things. The second link is karma in Sanskrit or kama in Pali, karmic formations or kama formations, which is the volitional action, the volitional activity, actions of the body, actions of speech, and actions of the mind that are either motivated by wholesome or unwholesome mental factors. And every single action of body, speech, and mind is either unwholesome to some degree or wholesome, and it's motivated by this wholesome or unwholesome volitional uh, uh, energy within us. The third link is consciousness, conscious presence, we could say. Now, of course, just to, we could talk about any of these for a couple of hours, you know, but I just want to give you a, a, an overview for a reference. The fourth is what's classically called mentality or, and materiality. So all mental and bodily phenomena. Mentality, mental phenomena, materiality, bodily or physical phenomena. The next is what's called the sixfold sense base. Now you don't have to remember these, but I just want to give you, give you the reference. And the sixfold sense base means it's the six sense doors, as it's understood in uh, the teachings of the Buddha. The six sense doors being searing, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and the mind door, the thinking uh, thinking of uh, the mind door. The next one is contact. It's called contact. And that's all that we experience and know through contact via the six sense doors that I've just listed. Then the next in the link is number seven, is feeling. Now some of you know this and some of you may not, but in feeling, uh, in Buddhism, feeling is very simply described as pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, or neutral feeling. So a pleasant feeling tone, an unpleasant feeling tone, or a neutral feeling tone that arises with every experience of contact. Number eight is craving. So because of feeling, either pleasant or unpleasant, there's desire, wanting, craving for pleasant. I think we could probably all pretty much agree we, we go for pleasant as much as we can, right? <laughs> Sometimes misunderstanding, but we go for it. <laughs> the next, number nine, is clinging. So what happens after we crave and we maybe get? We cling. Clinging is conditioned by craving. 
we grasp onto, we latch onto. Then the next one, number 10, <clears throat> it's uh, called existence. And that means after we've craved and we cling, we're holding on to, the whole thing starts all over again at this point. That's what the a re-existence, continuing this existence that's born out of the first one, ignorance, because we didn't understand and so we went all the way through them all and then we start all over again. Number 11 is called birth. And so what does it mean in this context? We're reborn again and again and again and again into this existence born out of ignorance of, of unsatisfactoriness. We just keep running around the wheel, so to say. And then the last of the 12 links is suffering. What are we reborn into? We're reborn into what's called dukkha in, in Pali and in Sanskrit. Uh, it's often translated as suffering. I, I prefer the translation of unsatisfactoriness. So it's this cycle that we are caught in and have been caught in over and over and over and over and over again. This is really a teaching of great depth with important insights into our individual lives for living in the world, in our everyday lives. And also, importantly, for socially engaged Buddhism, for socially engaged Buddhist practice. And this is because interdependent co-arising shows us that the individual and our environment are actually inseparable. There's really no clear demarcation. Without knowing the fundamental causes of suffering, this cause of, the causes being craving and, and then clinging, we'll continue ignorantly reacting, ignorantly reacting to whatever conditions arise in the world, whatever their source, regardless of whether it's perceived to come from an individual or from an institution. And I use the word react rather than respond. When we're finally able to respond, to be response-able, we're no longer reacting this cycle of ignorance. So we do react often. When we apply this teaching to our lives, we gain a deeper insight into the true nature of things. And we begin to understand that, in fact, nothing is an island unto itself. No thing is is separate all on its own. And no thing is completely, totally self-contained or self-reliant, even though sometimes it seems like that. But that's not the way things really are. Everything that is exists really solely because of other events that have also co-arisen. All things are dependent upon cause and effect. And this is true not only for our physical actions, but so too with all of our 
mental formations and all of the emotional happenings in our mind and heart. So, to put it in a a simpler way, this teaching reveals that interconnectedness between all beings, all things, all happenings, is the way of things. We're all part of the greater whole. And I suspect everyone in this room knows that in some way. We know it at least intellectually, but there's more to it than that. And so in relationship to the links of codependent arising, here we are. Here we are now in the midst of our, each of us in our own body-mind process. It's just how it is at this point for every one of us. And within this immediacy of our body-mind process, we've all taken birth again and again and again just in this very lifetime, conditioned by our ignorance of the causes of suffering. So again, here we are. There's really no way at this point to avoid contact. And there's certainly no way of uh, possible of closing off all of our sense doors, even if that might be desirable, which I think I can quite uh, safely say is not something that any of us would really truly want. So here we are. We have to deal with the situation of being in a body and being alive in this totally interconnected world. When there's contact, there's no way of preventing feeling from arising. Just simply because of contact, feeling will be there. Some degree of feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, maybe neutral. It's a totally, totally common factor of mind for every single one of us. But, very important, it's right at this point that this chain of ignorance and rebirth can be broken. Right at that point of the feeling pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Understanding the law of dependent origination or interdependent co-arising. Because of one thing, something else arises. When we really understand that, we can begin to break the chain of our conditioning. So when pleasant things arise, we don't cling. Now, it's easy to say. It's not so easy in practice. But that's the possibility when pleasant things arise. We don't ignore it being pleasant, but we don't cling. When unpleasant things arise, we don't condemn them. We recognize, but we don't condemn them. And when neutral things arise, and this is a really important one, actually, when neutral things arise, we're not forgetful. Often with neutral uh, arisings, and there are hundreds of them in a day, to some degree of neutral, we ignore. We're ignorant of them. People say, oh, nothing's happening. 
I think we're actually, most of us, intense experience junkies. I mean, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, if it's intense, we'll pay attention. But if it's neutral, eh, you know, who cares? But there's hundreds, thousands of neutral experience that we ignore. The Buddha said that the way of forgetfulness is the way of death, and that the way of wisdom and mindful awareness is the path to the deathless. So neutral is really an important uh, and huge part of our life, actually. We're really free to break the chain at any time. We're really free to free ourselves from conditioned reactions. And it takes a very powerful mindfulness in each moment to not allow feelings to generate a clinging desire. And if it's unpleasant, it's a clinging desire for something else. Can be. This gift of mindfulness, gift of mindfulness practice, is actually, we could say, a rehearsed ability. We practice it. We rehearse it over and over and over again. So we could call it a rehearsed ability to intervene in the process of reactivity, which normally would be habitual, quite habitual, and without any thought at all. We just automatically react with our habits, in our habitual ways. So rather than immediately and ignorantly reacting in a way that causes more suffering for ourselves and causes suffering for others as well, mindfulness practice, hopefully, and I know, I wouldn't even say hopefully, it gives us some breathing space. It gives us some breathing space between the event and our response or our reaction. And I think for many of us, this may mean that maybe we still get angry, we still get upset. But there can be a, a two-second gap in there rather than just an almost unrecognizable or unconnected nanosecond. A two-second gap. That's important. And over time, this gap will increase. And perhaps then by that time, as that develops, our reactivity will cool off in the gap. And then we actually have a much broader range of choices for how to respond. And this is wonderful, actually. It's a great gift for ourselves and for others. This is how mindfulness intervenes in the chain of causation from ignorance to suffering. And of course, as I think we all know, it's hard enough to intervene in our own individual ignorance and reactivity. Right? It's pretty hard. Not so easy. But put a bunch of us in a room (laughs) and you have a group of people reacting to their own and others' ignorance. Incorporate that group as maybe a social institution, 
whether it's a school or maybe a police force or government agency or a corporation, and then formalize that ignorance through various policies and various laws and through informal, uh, unwritten rules of conduct and practice, and you have something that's way more than the sum of its ignorant parts with far more reaching power. In all cases, meaning our individual and our personal lives and in relationship to the various structures and various organizations that influence and take care of and govern our culture, there's an accumulation of formal and informal social practices that may or may not uh, be pinned on an individual as the cause regarding the way things are happening. The discriminatory, harmful, oppressive, or the compassionate, helpful, supportive effects are the result of what we could call an ecology. An ecology, we could say, of the collective ignorance, both conscious and unconscious, or the collective compassionate understanding, which can also be both conscious and unconscious. It all, all of it, co-arises interdependently. Understanding this can expose at least some of the many, many unseen layers of all phenomena. And not only does it give us a better understanding of the true nature of reality, but I think more importantly, it gives us patience and compassion. It gives us insight to be able to act with greater wisdom. So for instance, we learn that a person who's acting hastily, maybe, out of anger, and this person has many contributing conditions to their upset state of mind. So maybe we understand that their outburst isn't necessarily, maybe not an outright mean-spirited attack, as it might seem it is at first, but that maybe it's a reaction brought on by many, many other factors that came before it. We've all seen this within ourselves and in relationship to other people to some degree. So maybe we we see and know the stress of their day. Maybe there was a some kind of a an accident, maybe even a car accident that happened earlier in the day. Maybe we we have some knowledge and see the frustration of their week. Maybe there was trouble at work. We see maybe, maybe we see the way they were treated as a child. Maybe we see their pent up and repressed emotions from years and years of cultural conditioning that gave, gave rise to a very strong and maybe at times overheated reaction or response. 
So in many ways, this person had no choice, in a sense, to act in any other way. And we see that if our places were switched, and we were them, that we would most likely react in a very similar way. We really are very much the product of our environment. Dependent origination, or we'll leave it at that, dependent origination, (laughs) removes the duality of our thinking. It really, in a sense, cleanses our palate from thinking only in terms of competitive individualism. This sense of us against them, or this duality of good and evil, or the duality of a winner and a loser. This understanding begins to allow us to see beyond our misguided concepts of separation and isolation. And we realize that interdependence between all things is the way of things. We see how that we are all intimately connected. And really, in some sense, there's nothing more profound. The simple understanding reveals that up can't exist without down. East can't exist without west. That wealth can't exist without poverty. That life doesn't exist without death. If we never knew, for instance, what dry means, then we would never be able to realize wet. You can't have one without the other. It's totally interrelated, interconnected. So we could say that all things are empty of their apparent separate self. And I hope maybe it makes sense when I say it the way that I just did. There's no really separate self. All things are interdependent. And we all rely on one another. All of us. So, an example. Socially engaged Buddhist uh, Joanna Macy has used interdependent co-arising to illustrate the principles of deep ecology, where the individual is just a part of the larger fabric of living beings and harming any part of the fabric. Any part of the fabric harms the individual. Therefore, the health of our planet at the base level at at our base level, uh, an act of self-care that 
taking care of our planet is an act of self-care and self-preservation, really, at the base level. And this presupposes that, of course, the individuals, that each of us individuals, will care and will assume that. Uh, this, of course, assumes the best in everyone, which can be a big assumption, but I think it's fair to assume that in this group anyways. So a very ordinary uh, everyday example of this, uh, this could be mm, we see the cup of coffee uh, in our hand uh, or the cup of tea in our hand. Couldn't exist without the person who ordered the tea leaves or the bag of beans for their store. So then we look a little deeper and we see the truck that the beans arrived in or the tea leaves came uh, came in and we see its driver. We see the fuel in the tank and the person who pumped pumped it at the gas station. We see the person who roasted the beans and packaged them. We maybe see the ship that the beans sailed on from Peru and the uh, ship that maybe the, the tea leaves came from Thailand. And then all of the hands on deck uh, who ensured the arrival of these beans and these tea leaves. And maybe we see the, the sunshine that made the plants grow. And furthermore, every, each and every one of these conditions had their own very complex web of factors that contributed to their unique arising as well. Maybe we see the clouds that uh, the water fell from that landed on the crops. And maybe we even see the rivers in which these clouds once flowed as water. And maybe we see all of the decisions in each of the people's lives that led to their interaction with the coffee bean or the tea leaf. And we see all of the things which then influenced each of these decisions also. And maybe in some way we see their parents and we see their parents before them. And we could go on and on. I mean, it's infinite. It infinitely goes on with everything in this way. Everything impacts everything else. Seeing the world in such a way can demystify things for us quite a bit, quite a bit. It unites us, it brings us together. It gives us wisdom to make ethical decisions with more skill and more compassion. It allows us to better see the potential repercussions of our seemingly harmless actions. It gives us mindful insight to see the impact that we have on others and the impact that we have on our environment. 
And we also learn to have more patience with ourselves. We better, we learn to better understand the origin of our thoughts, the origin of our emotions and our actions. We learn to see the interdependence between our reactions and our moods, between our moods and our decisions, between our decisions and our contractions, our resistances, and between our contractions, our resistances, and our fears. One flows into the next. In the case of institutionalized oppression, there are many who benefit from both ignorance and from suffering. And I think that there is a relatively common assumption among certain groups of people that if presented with a sufficiently rational argument, someone causing suffering will see their error and stop or change. Well, maybe. Maybe. But if they benefit from the oppressive arrangement, why would they change, actually? I think among some of us Buddhists, the thinking is that if presented with sufficient equanimity and compassion, the other person's humanity will somehow respond rather than their inhumanity. Well, again, maybe, sometimes, not always. Why doesn't it? Well, because ignorance and greed can be very, very deeply entrenched and very hard to uproot, especially if a person is um, benefiting by the oppressive arrangement. But at the same time, there are many, many, many everyday examples of this positive and wholesome principle occurring in small ways, again and again and again. It's not hopeless. When we're armed, so to say, with insight into the true, real causes of suffering and have a deep empathy for all people's desire to be free from suffering, no matter what suffering they themselves may have caused, we can learn and practice intervening into the suffering via the intervening into the chain of interdependently arising ignorance. Both our own and that of other individuals. And even in relationship to institutional interdependent arising ignorance. 
And we do that. Many of us are very involved in doing that. And it does make a big difference. It may take time, but it does make a difference. When we really intimately understand the non-duality that exists between all things, we're liberated from the pain of our the pain that our discriminations produce. And that's a big a big liberation. We see that all things are really truly equal. Human or animal. All humans, all animals, rivers, rocks, whatever it may be. Our planet and all that makes it up. We see that in fact no nation's borders can come between the inherent nature of interdependent co-arising. And we see that my problems are your problems, that your grief is my grief. And we also see that my peace is your peace. This wisdom gives us the insight and the foresight to change the future by making mindful and skillful decisions today. So I'd like to close the talk this evening reading, I read this at the beginning of our sit, some of you were here and some weren't, and I only read a portion of it. These are some words from <clears throat> Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu, who was a Thai monk um, who died in 1953. And he was a very famous and quite influ- influential a monk in Thailand. <clears throat> the entire cosmos is a cooperative. The sun, the moon, and the stars live together as a cooperative. The same is true for humans and animals, trees and soil. Our bodily parts function as a cooperative. When we realize that the world is a mutual, interdependent, cooperative enterprise, that human beings are all mutual friends in the process of birth, old age, suffering, and death, then we can build a noble, even heavenly environment. If our lives are not based on this truth, then we shall all perish. So let's sit quietly for just a moment.
And thank you for listening to the Dharma.